0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. Please be seated. In 1898, uh, the year when this building was under construction, Um, a little girl was born up in Harlem, Um, and Ruth was her name, and um, she had one black parent and one white parent, which was not such a big deal in that neighborhood of Harlem, Uh, but as she grew older, she would find it was a big deal in many circles. Um, She grew up in and around churches in Harlem, and at some point she saw Episcopal nuns, and she decided she'd want to be one. She thought that would be a really good thing. And so she applied at a convent and was told in a very proper, uh, very sort of Anglican way, "Um, uh, thank you so so very much, dear, but uh, we can't allow you here because you come from a mixed race. And that just would not be done. It was a very different Episcopal church back then. Um, Well, someone mentioned Canada to Ruth, and she ended up finding her way up there. She went to college. She found um, an order of Anglican nuns there that were happy to receive her. Um, She went to college there at a college called St. Hilda's, and she began to learn about Hilda of Whitby, who was um, an abbess in, um, in England who uh, was a powerhouse. And she was a woman famous for education, for, uh, for administration. Um, she ran um, a monastery that had men and women. Um, she presided over the synod, the big meeting at Whitby, which was important because it was, it was the place where um, Anglican, uh, not Anglican, um, Christians living in what would become England, England, Ireland, and Scotland, um, were still sort of running their own show, and these these, uh, sort of recent missionaries had come over from Rome telling them about Jesus, to which they said, well, we know all about Jesus, we just celebrate things differently here. And so they disagreed about when to celebrate Easter, among other things. And Hilda's meeting at Whitby settled that question and a bunch of others. Anyway, that's a big digression about Hilda of Whitby. But um, Ruth of Manhattan, of Harlem, (laughs) um, began to develop this attraction to Hilda. And so Ruth, uh, by then Sister Ruth, an Anglican sister, um, felt called to help educate people, especially educate children. And so at some point, uh, she was sent to America to learn what she could about education in this country. And she spent some time in Detroit and eventually found her way back to New York. And she was sent by her order of nuns in Canada um, to see what God might be doing in New York with her. Uh, long story short, she, uh, she made connections in Manhattan, uh, she began to talk about this idea of creating a school, and she began to create a school. It became called St. Hilda's School, and later uh, another building was found for boys, and that became St. Hugh's School, Hugh of Lincoln who had nothing to do with Hilda, but it sounded good, St. Hilda and St. Hugh, and they both were proponents of education. Um, But here was this this woman, Mother Ruth, who developed a new Episcopal order, the community of the Holy Spirit in this country. Um, But remember, she's the same woman who was denied entrance to a religious order. And it it makes you wonder what, what enabled her to continue going forward in the same sort of world from which she was rejected. And yet she found a way around the corners uh, to create her own way. Um, famously, when she was headmistress at the school of St. Hilda and St. Hugh's, she said that she felt like her job and the school's job was that if you came in as an Episcopalian, you would leave a better Episcopalian. If you came to school there as a Jew, you'd leave a better Jew. And if you came to school there as an agnostic, you'd leave a better agnostic. Um, she founded the school in 1950, so it was way ahead of her time. But you've got to imagine something about being mixed race, being female, being turned away from so many places and excluded from other places, gave her an expanded heart to include, to reach out, to encourage, um, to notice who's not fitting in or who's, who's been rejected elsewhere, and to especially invite them in. Um, I think of Mother Ruth and her spirit um, that simply refused to be um, kept out. When I read this first story about the Ethiopian eunuch, um, this morning at our, at our early service, I didn't know whether to rejoice or despair that um, there's a very prominent member of the church who's a lifelong Episcopalian, and she said she didn't think she had ever in her life heard that scripture. And I thought, oh, we have work to do. Um, it's read every three years, I promise you it is, um, but it also says not many people have preached about it, so we do have work to do. Um, I appreciate that story because I think it, it, it speaks to so many in today's world who, ha, who maybe don't feel like they fit in, maybe have been told they aren't included or aren't invited, and yet God says just the opposite. God says, you're invited, and furthermore, you're especially invited. There is nothing preventing you from being baptized. There is nothing preventing you from the fullness of God's love and embrace this Ethiopian eunuch. If you notice, the story says that he was an official, a high official in the court of Candace. And so in those times, it was, it was the thing sometimes to, to take little boys out of their, their homes or perhaps the family needed money and would sell them and the child would be made into a eunuch uh, before they had any choice in the matter and then sent to special schools and sort of groomed uh, to serve in the court. And so you can imagine that this would be especially the thing to do if you had a, a female a matriarch, because if, if the men surrounding her are eunuchs, there's no threat to her sexually or, or in terms of power or, or authority. Um, and so that's why this this Little boy was turned into a eunuch and then, and then grew up. And it sounds like he was, um, he was educated, he was sophisticated, he was worldly, he was um, good at finance, he was good at administration, um, but he also had this sense of God. And he had, he had this sense of wanting to find God, wanting to look for God, wanting to meet God in a new way. And so he made the long, long journey from Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem. Um, One imagines to, to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. Who knows what he had heard about it, about its, its beauty, about its glory, about its grandeur. Um, if we read uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, we read that the, the temple in Jerusalem had, had professional musicians. It had all sorts of things going on. It would have been um, like the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. It would have been quite the showpiece and the place to go into and worship and, and experience the smells and the sounds and the, the textures of God. Except that when the Ethiopian eunuch would have shown up, he would not be allowed in. Not because he was an Ethiopian, but because he was a eunuch. The book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy say explicitly, who is not allowed in the temple? And those who had amputations of any kind or were physically uh, disformed were not allowed in the temple. And so after all this long way, as, as uh, Deacon Jeff preached this morning, he had done the math, and I forget how many thousands of miles uh, the eunuch would have traveled, but it was a long, long way, probably three or four weeks' travel. He gets to Jerusalem, and he's denied entrance. And so it's after being sort of shut out that he begins to go home, and he meets Philip along the road. Um, This is a different Philip, scholars think, than Philip the Apostle. Some say this was Philip the Deacon or Philip the Just, um, but certainly it's a Philip who's filled uh, with the Spirit of Christ. And so he sees this this strange sight of this this Ethiopian um, almost royalty himself, this um, court official, reading a scroll, presumably, in his carriage as he's being taken through the countryside. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? We hear those words elsewhere when Jesus appears to the ones on the road to Emmaus and Jesus says to his disciples, do you understand everything you've just seen and heard in Jerusalem? And so Philip says something similar to, to, the, to the Ethiopian eunuch. And the, the eunuch says, well, I'm not sure. I've, I've read this and this and this, but, um, but, but tell me what I'm missing. And so Philip begins to tell him how in Jesus Christ, everything the eunuch has read about prophecy, about the law, about the vision of God for God's people and God's love in the world is, is consummated in the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, Jesus has been put to death but has risen again and lives. And so we, too, can live with Christ and in Christ. And so whatever Philip says to the eunuch, um, the, the eunuch accepts it and believes it. And so there must have been a conversation about baptism and the power of baptism and, and entrance into this new way of Jesus Christ through baptism. And so the Ethiopian says, well, look, there's some water. What's preventing me from being baptized? And Philip wisely and faithfully and smartly and and compassionately says, Not a thing in this world. Let's do it. And so the Ethiopian becomes a Christian. And Philip mysteriously vanishes. and, And we're told that the Ethiopian eunuch continues on his way in joy. Who knows if he didn't then go and and spread the gospel in Ethiopia, and it's one of the reasons why um, there are these these churches in Ethiopia that are among among the oldest in the whole world. Um, But thanks be to God for Philip, who had the courage and the faith to to maybe break the rules a little bit, um, to maybe go outside the box. Um, Did you know that any one of you is empowered to baptize? You can do it. In the Book of Common Prayer, I believe it's page 313, we can look it up later, it says that in an emergency, any Christian may baptize another person using water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so if, heaven forbid, you're in a a subway accident or or a car accident or or you're with family and a a baby is born and it doesn't look like the baby's going to make it and somebody somewhere needs a baptism right away, you can do it. You should do it and you must do it as a person of faith, as a person of compassion, as as a person who seeks to follow the God of love. Bill Tully was the famous uh, minister and priest at St. Bartholomew's for a number of years. And he began to get into trouble with the Bishop of New York when Bill Tully was inviting everybody in the room to come and receive communion. Uh, We do the same thing, but we just do it a little quieter. Not that the bishop would particularly care. Um, But especially in those days, that would have been... um, what, Joan, 20 years ago, maybe, at the height of that? Uh, Joan remembers Bill Tully and, and knows, knows him. Um, but, but it was some years ago. And, um, and so he was inviting everybody present to come and receive the Holy Eucharist. The Bishop of New York wrote him a letter saying, uh, Father Bill, uh, let me remind you that the canons of the Episcopal Church specify that all baptized Christians can receive Holy Communion. Not everybody in the room." So the next Sunday and for the next few Sundays, Bill Tully stood in the front of his his altar and he said to everyone, "Um, we're about to begin the Holy Eucharist, Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, and the Bishop of New York has reminded me that everyone who receives needs to be baptized. Therefore, if you need to be baptized, meet me at the baptismal font before communion and we'll baptize you before we eat. And sure enough, a few people stepped forward. He made his point. A little like Philip on the road uh, with the Ethiopian eunuch, that it's the desire of God not to make rules, not to, not to close doors, but to open them. Furthermore, it's our mission to spread that word, to spread that gospel, to be evangelists, um, to be keepers of God's word and love and to extend it into the world our current presiding bishop, um, I think makes a good point that there is often a particular style of Episcopal evangelism where often it's not really our custom or our strength to to take the Bible into the street and say, Jesus says repent. Uh, Some people do that, and and, um, that's not always our calling. Uh, But what we can do is one by one, wherever we go, wherever we are, we can share some aspect of our faith. Um, Monday morning at the office, somebody says, how was your weekend? You say, it was great, you know, went to church last night. Don't have to say anything else. They might ask a question, they might not. Or if they say, what are you doing next weekend? You say, oh, well, the church where I go is having a street fair, I thought I might check it out. You can go with me if you want. Now, that might be a little more edgy, uh, but that's another model. Uh, we could all practice, you know, um, sort of common sense, practical evangelism. Um, you can tell people about the website. You can have people listen to sermons online. If, if you ever hear a sermon that somehow touches you, you could refer someone to it. There are lots of ways to, to very gently and lovingly and naturally um, mention church to people. Um, If you saw a great movie, if you saw a great play, if you read a great book, wouldn't it just make sense to share that with somebody you know or like? Um, How much more so that we have experienced and heard and know to be for us uh, the loving, living life of Jesus Christ that gives us eternal life. Whether we're uh, called to be um, evangelists in extreme ways, like Philip Um, whether we're called to be faithful in the face of adversity like Mother Ruth, um, or whether in quiet and unpredictable and subtle ways we're each of us called in our own lives, uh, may the Holy Spirit help us to be faithful this night and in the days ahead. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. (laughs) Amen.